I don't remember much. <laughs> I think that's almost 15 years ago now, but... but now you're really, really turning my heart screws here. You know, contemplated, you know, stopping wrestling because I was so frustrated because I wanted to do so much better than what I was doing. Oh, that is a tough one. That one is a tough one. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't even really think about that match that much. I, I try not to. You know, I was just like, oh, here we go again. You know, my, my body is, is, uh, is getting out on me. And mentally, I was, I was in a sort of a dark place. I don't know if I ever regained my focus in my competitive years again after that. Up to the point where I just, I couldn't, I couldn't get there. You know, I couldn't find a rhythm in a tournament. My first two years, I, I had uh, a lot of injury. And I think that mentally led to a lot of doubt. It's true. It's like if I could do it again, I, I wouldn't have done it any different. You know, it's kind mm-hmm. of, it's just how the, how things play out. I'm not sure if I should be honored to be on that list or not. Welcome to episode 11 of the Sudden History Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host, Earl Smith. After about a three-week break, talking about current events in the NCA wrestling landscape, we are back to the types of shows that you know and love. And without further explanation, we're going to jump into the interview today. It is with Lehigh's John Trench. We have a very special guest on Sudden History today. He was a three-time All-American, two-time NCAA finalist from Lehigh's, currently an earth science teacher and assistant wrestling coach at Parkland High School in Pennsylvania. Let's welcome John Trench. Thank you, Earl. So, John, at what age did you start wrestling? Why did you begin? And what was it about the sport that made you want to devote yourself to it? I began at seven years old in second grade. Um, My father wrestled when he was younger, only for a couple years. But he was a shorter guy. He's only 5'7". And um, he's pretty strong. He liked lifting weights. And, And so that was one of the sports, one of the few sports that he could be successful at and not be very tall not be very big. Um, and he liked the hand-to-hand combat-type nature of the sport, and that's kind of like what I what I fell in love with, too. There's so many moves in wrestling. Um, I like figuring out how to solve puzzles and things like that. And wrestling's just like one big puzzle. There's like a counterattack to every attack that the opponent has, and it's just fun trying to like figure everything out. So I believe that you decided you wanted to go to Lehigh at a relatively young age. What made the school so attractive for you? And did you have anyone else that came along when you were in high school to make a serious push for you? Uh, well, like I, I was wrestling JV in second and third and fourth grade. And then I started kind of breaking through to varsity in fifth grade. And um, I, I told my dad I wanted to wrestle more. Um you know, like season wasn't very long in elementary. So he said, well, you can wrestle in the summer too. And I was just like really thrilled about that because I had no idea that you could do that. And so I asked him, you know, well, well, can we do that? So I started wrestling freestyle and Greco and he would just get all the flyers at our club that we went to, which was called Talent Wrestling Club. And he would ask me, do you want to go to this one? Do you want to go to that one? And I always said yes. So he took me. And mm-hmm. so it wound up, um, I started wrestling pretty many matches and getting good, and I, I couldn't get enough of the sport. Um, by sixth grade, um, 
I decided I, I, I went to a club also at, at Lehigh that had, I was really fortunate, um, Sergey Belaglasov was the coach of the club. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I was 11 years old, and I was the biggest kid in the club, so he would use me to show all the moves. I weighed about mm, 95 pounds, 100 pounds, and he was like 140 pounds, and but he would show the moves on me, and he would wrestle with me and just throw me all over the place and teach me how to do stuff. And um, I really started, like, taking a lot of notes on, on the things that he showed and other clinicians showed. Um, and just being in that club in Lehigh's wrestling room with Sergey, and Sergey was, a like, a volunteer assistant at Lehigh at that time, that made me want to go to Lehigh. And... Aside from that, it's very close to my house, only about 15 miles. Mm-hmm. And I was very close with my dad, so I figured that would be a cool way to like stay close to home and my dad could watch all my matches and I could get a good education. So that's what I wanted to do. But I knew I'd have to get a full ride to be able to do it because Lehigh is very expensive. Mm-hmm. So I just kept uh, you know, plugging away at the wrestling stuff and keeping my grades good enough so I could get in. And just to kind of talk about how your style developed, because, you know, not only were you good at the basic fundamentals, but you featured a lot of throws and trips, just, you know, exciting stuff to watch. You know, I would think that's what drew a lot of fans to you, because, you know, at least it did for me. Uh, I appreciate it. Um, well, you know, Bella Glazov showed me my my best and favorite throw. It's called a Polish throw. That's the one I hit mm-hmm. most often. Um you know, and, and that I learned when I was 11 years old. But I wrestled probably, you know, uh, let's say in junior high, maybe 30 matches a year folk style or 40, mm-hmm. you know, a couple tournaments. But I would easily wrestle that many matches or a couple years, like double that many matches in freestyle and Greco. Um, one tournament, I wrestled 17 matches in a day. And freestyle on Greco because wow. I, I would try to go, like, if there was a good guy at the age group above me, I would ask my dad if I could enter both. And so he would bump me up uh, while I'd wrestle my age group and the one above me, and I would go freestyle on Greco. So mm-hmm. wrestled a lot of matches and always speaked out the best guys, and and I wasn't, like, afraid. Like, I was really hungry to, like, mm-hmm. try to do stuff that I was learning. A lot of kids are afraid to try stuff. And I always thought it was exciting to see if it would work and take the risk and mm-hmm. see what happened and kind of believe that if you're strong and fast and you did everything technically correct, you would get it. So mm-hmm. that's what I tried to do. Um, so, so you redshirted your uh, initial season at Lehigh and had a pretty good year. You know, considering your prep results and achievements, you might have already felt this way but did you have a particular match or moment that kind of gave you the confidence that you were ready to compete and thrive at the D1 level? Um, yeah, uh, my 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 redshirt year, uh, Pat Fantoro actually called me up the morning of the tournament and said, John, let's go up to the New York Athletic Club tournament, wrestle some freestyle. The morning of. And it's an, it's an open, it's a senior level tournament. So I'm like, I'm going to wrestle guys that are trying out for the Olympics and stuff. So mm-hmm. I said to my dad, like, what should I do? Should I, should I go? He goes, do you want to go? I'm like, yeah. And he said, well, then go and see what happens. Maybe you'll lose. Big deal. And it was close to Christmas time. So I was at home. 
I kicked her down to Lehigh, and Pat drove me up there, and um, he kicked butt that day. He got the OW. He beat John Jira in the finals by, like, Tech Fall, and John Jira wow. is very good. But um, mm-hmm. I wound up my first match. I think really, my first match I wrestled uh, a guy named Andre Rodzienko, who was from Penn and who had played mm-hmm. third in the NCAAs the year before that, and I beat him 5-3 to three as a true freshman. Wow. And after I came off the mat, I didn't really think anything of it. And Pat's like, John, do you realize what you just did? And I was like, what? And he goes, that guy was an All-American last year. And I said, okay. And he goes, no, he was third. Like, you shouldn't be able <laughs> to compete with him yet. And then the next match, I wrestled a guy named Chad Lamer. And um, mm-hmm. I beat him eight to nine, and this was in 1999. In the year 2000, he was number two on the ladder for like the Olympic stuff at my weight. Mm-hmm. So had some good matches. Melvin Douglas beat me really bad, like nine nothing or something like that. But um, that tournament showed me that, and it showed Pat too, that uh, I was I was in it with those guys and I could compete with them. And so they planned to send me out to the U.S. Open that year, um, but I tore my LCL on my leg, like, pretty bad. I I, I was in a straight leg brace during the tournament for, like, six weeks. So um, I couldn't wrestle in that. But I was excited to try to go out to the U.S. Open and see if I could place and and all that because I kind of gained that confidence at the New York AC. Mm -hmm. And... So in your first season of actually competing, you had an excellent freshman year, beating both of the eventual NCAA finalists. And late in the season, you had to stop competing due to your eye injury. You know, what exactly was the injury? And was there a moment or match that it occurred in? Or is it just something that built up eventually? Well, it's kind of a mystery. I'm really, really nearsighted. And so I guess because of the shape of my eye being, rather than being spherical, it's kind of like egg-shaped. And the doctor said okay. that may put extra, extra like compression or stress on my retina. And so when I get poked in the eye, my eye like has to deal with that shock. And sometimes my retina can like tear since it's already under so much stress. And um, mm-hmm. it was the last dual meets of the year. Ironically, and we wrestled Penn, Army, and Drexel in one weekend. And uh, I got poked a couple times, but I mean it's like in college wrestling happens all the time. Like almost every match you yeah. get hands in the face, you're getting head butted, like so I didn't think anything of it and then a couple of days after that match I went to my trainer and said, like, if fortunately I, I strained my quad in one of those matches and so I didn't wrestle um the following couple of days. They had me working out in the pool and stuff instead. And I said to my trainer mm-hmm. Jack, I can't really, like, see out of half of my right eye. And he said, what do you mean? I said, I can't see out of the top half of my right eye. Is there something in my in my eye? And I pulled my eyelid up, and I kind of didn't think it would make sense that something would be, like, stuck up in there and preventing me to see because, you know, like, my eye's right in the front, my pupil's in the front. So he, like, grabbed my shoulder and said, don't move. And I said, I'm like, what are you talking about? And he said, describe this to me again. And I said, if I look at your face, and I just covered my left eye, I said, if I look at your face and focus on your nose, I can't see your eyes. Everything from, like, 
your eyes upward is black. It's like somebody pulled a curtain down. And as soon as I said that, that's exactly what they write in the medical books, like for detached retina. Wow. You know, as soon as I said that, he like freaked out and said, you know, be very careful. Walk with me. He's holding my arm like a Russian tie and guiding me to the medical room. And about four hours later, I had surgery and they said I'd never wrestle again. So that was kind of traumatic. I was really upset. Uh, yeah, I would um, You know, that's kind of how it went down. It all happened really fast from like a three o'clock workout to, uh, I think it was an eight o'clock surgery. Um, hmm. that was kind of upsetting. And how long were you away from the sport until the goggles came into play? Oh, uh, well, I came back before that. My dad and my mom told me to stop. They said I should stop mm-hmm. wrestling and I just said, I'm not going to stop. And then I, the eye gave me some problems. I had to have a couple of follow-up surgeries. Um, and then that was in February, uh, February 17th, I think I, it was the date of the surgery. But um, by the time Fiela Junior World Trials came around, I wrestled, and I won the World Trials. And I went over to Uzbekistan, and I wrestled over there. And I came back, and I started training in the, the preseason. And I was about 12-0 and 0 or something like that. I won the Las Vegas tournament and a couple other dual meets. And then I was at practice, and... I hit a misdirection on my or my partner and, like, faked him out a little bit. And when he reacted to down block, he poked me right in the eye and kind of, like, got another hole in my retina. I had another surgery. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Lehigh said, you can't wrestle unless you find a way to protect this because they felt like they were liable. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when I had to sit out a couple matches until I found the goggles. Okay, and... In that 2001-2002 season, you had a few matches with Kale Sanderson, then meet him in the NCAA Finals. You know, he's looking to finish 159-0. and Probably most people outside of your family, friends, and teammates were rooting for him to do so in preparation for that match. How did it feel being the other guy in his pursuit of history? Oh, geez. Uh, well, I mean, I wasn't rooting for him. I had a lot of respect for sure. him. A ton of respect for him, but... Uh, you know, the way the, the evolution of the matches with Sanderson went, the first match I wrestled him was at Midlands, and that was only a six-minute match. Midlands is only 2-2-2, two, 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 and there's no riding time. And Strobel said, well, Trench, go see what you can do. So they blew the whistle, and I shot. I got right in on his leg, and, like, two seconds later, he was behind me. He turned his hip so fast, popped my shoulder out. I had a high, I took a high crotch. He beat my shoulder and, and had my leg hooked and was behind me trying to tilt me. Within a couple seconds, I was like, oh, my God, that was fast. Well, he wound up beat me like 16 to 6 or 16 to 5 or something like that. And uh, it was pretty bad. It was it was like the worst I've ever been beaten, I think, uh, as far as points go. In a, in a, definitely in a college match, but probably in, a, in, a, in like a scholastic-style match ever. And... Um, mm-hmm. Then the next time I wrestled them was the all-star meet, and Strobel said, okay, Trench, last time we figured out that you can't really take them down and you can't really score on them. So this time, let's see if we can slow them down. He goes, try to prevent him from scoring. So mm-hmm. I did the best I could, and it was 0-0 first period. Apparently, it's the only match he ever went 0-0 first period in 159. And then mm-hmm. coming down to the end of the match, 
he had like 55 seconds or 58 seconds of riding time, and the score was 3-1 to one, um, with about, I don't know, 10 seconds, 15 seconds to go. And I tried a shot, and he wound up getting behind me and then getting the riding time. So it went from 3-1 to one to 6-1 to one real quick. But it was actually a very close mm-hmm. match. I just, I wasn't ever really close to scoring anything, but the score was close. Then the third time was national finals, and it was like, okay, Trench, now you got to stop him from scoring and find a way to score on him. And it was just like, you know, it wound up really worse than it should have been. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when he took me down that first takedown, I was – he shot a high crotch. Um, I tried to jump over the back of him because what I figured out with Kale is if you pick your foot up to sprawl, he gets his ankle picked. So you like mm-hmm. can't pick your. You have to keep your weight on your foot when he shoots, which makes it really hard to defend. So I tried going up over the back of him, and he quick converted to a double. And then I tried to lock up a cement job, and so he locked his hands around my back, so I couldn't get the cement job. Well, then they gave him two points for the takedown, and he had two points for the takedown for about three or four seconds before he pushed me to my back, and the whole time he had his hands locked. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. So they put in the rules video the next year, like that that should have been called locked hands, and we should have a fresh start. But instead, the riding time started. I got put to my back for three back points, and he held me on my – I had to fight off my back for like a minute and a half. So and that wound up making like a big difference in the match score. Probably should have beat me eight or nine to like four or five. Instead, it was 12 to four, mm-hmm. um, which was a big difference. But sure. whatever, he still dominated me. I couldn't take him down, couldn't stop him from taking me down. So he totally deserved to win. And so the, the next season you're back in the NCAA finals against Minnesota's Damian Hahn. It was a match you led for most of it up until the final few seconds. Just talk about your recollections from that match, uh, especially in the final period. That's the match I'd probably learned the most from. Whatever gets you the lead mm-hmm. is what you should continue doing. And I tried to hold, mm-hmm. I tried to hold off on the lead. Like I was winning um, by a couple points. I remember like very distinctly, like 45 seconds to go in the third period, looking at the scoreboard and thinking he would have to take me down, let me go, take me down and ride me to beat me. And I just remember thinking, there's no way he could do it. And mm-hmm. sure enough, that's what happened. And I just like, you know, with 30 seconds to go, I got taken down twice. I mean, I don't think I was taken down twice that whole season. And so what I attribute it to is I just totally self-destructed by changing my style and becoming defensive. When I'm good, when I'm offensive, my offense is good. My defense really wasn't that good. So when I change and become a defensive wrestler, I'm not really good anymore. (laughs) I should have just kept shooting. I should have went after him and tried to take him down again. So that's what I learned from that match. But that one was really painful to uh, deal with, you know, three seconds and you blow the national title. And it's like, man, that was tough. So, But I can, yeah, so after- I can totally relate because I, I coach a lot of kids and I see them do the same thing. And it's just like, no, don't do it. I can just, I, every time it happens to a high school kid, I think of Damian Hahn and they, they take <sighs> down with three seconds to go. Um, so after your two NCAA final losses, you know, one to the legendary Kale Sanderson, then the heartbreaker to Han, 
you start getting some feelings of self-doubt as to whether or not you'd be able to get a national title? Um, well, there's everybody. I don't care who they are. Uh, Kyle Dake, Jordan Burroughs, Kale Sanderson, especially Kale. Everyone has doubt. I mean, there's always doubt. Um, but you got to control that. And I definitely knew uh, that I was capable of it. And I thought that I was the best guy in the weight class my senior year. Um, but you know, things in my senior year, if you had, if you listen to these guys in interviews that win the national title and they'll tell you, your mind's got to be in the right place. You got to be focused. It's a matter of, you know, if, uh, the number one guy wrestles 97% and the number two guy wrestles a hundred percent, the number two guy is going to win, you know, and my mm-hmm. senior year, I was, I was, uh, getting put through anger management treatment and I mean there was <laughs> that was going on um, I was a captain for most of my career high school and college and then I was told my senior year I wasn't a captain anymore because I wasn't acting like a captain should act and so like I mean I was taking all these hits you know on the chin like I had a, a couple of kids kind of I felt like they were attacking my eyes and so like did what I thought I had to do, and holy cow, I felt like I was the center of the media attention for national, like, wrestling, and I felt pretty bad mm-hmm. about that, because I'm not that kind of person. I guess on the mat I am a little bit, but off the mat I'm not. Um, mm-hmm. And then, the last match of the year against Penn, I got a really bad concussion, uh, dislocated my jaw, um, I lifted Marcus Shantib up, I think I had him I got him taken down. It was the third takedown in the first period I was going for, I think, or third or fourth. Um, but I lifted him up, and a high crotch to a double lifted him up. When I was bringing him down, he did a real nice job of, like, balling up, hitting in a ball and exploding back up into me. Well, on the way down, my right side of my face separated a little bit from his, his uh, right hip. And when he popped back into me, his, like, lower back or something hit the side of my face really hard, and it knocked my jaw out of place and gave me a mm-hmm. bad concussion rule. So I, I ran right off the mat. My trainer reset my jaw, and then I finished the match. I wound up getting cut under my other eye, and after that, I couldn't wrestle for like 10 days. Well, then, you know, get a couple workouts, and I'm at EIWAs, and then a week and a half later, I'm at Nationals, and I just, my God, I mean, my my head was not in the right place. So at Nationals, mm-hmm. I would say that Sean Stender's a very good wrestler. So is Jake Rashold. Um, But as far as me being 100% mentally, not even close. I was, because then I, I kind of had the feeling that if something would happen and I would get DQ'd one more time, I'm going to get kicked off the team and it'll be the end of my career. So Mm -hmm. I was really worried about being a good sport and making sure that I don't do anything too hard so that the ref calls me for anything or, I was, like, really, really worried about that because I thought everyone thought I was a jerk. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, part of, if you ask any of the guys that know me, I used to get really psyched up for matches. Like, I didn't, I wasn't, mm-hmm. like, Mr. Really Relaxed and joking around before I went on the mat. I was always, like, fired up and ready to go. And I think that intensity is part of what made me good. 
But at nationals my mm-hmm. senior year, I purposely tried to not be intense so that I wouldn't flip out. And mm-hmm. I think I was just flat as a result. I just didn't have it. But. And so going back a little bit before that season, you had uh, taken an Olympic red shirt. You know, how was that process for you? And do you feel like it had made you a better wrestler? Oh, my God. Better wrestler? Yes. But more combative? 100%. Those guys are intense. I mean, like, really, really mm-hmm. intense. And, like, during my Olympic year, I got cut so many times in my face. And, I mean, all those guys I was wrestling were huge. And they were, like, they would, I don't want to say it in a, in a bad way, but they would, like, it was very cutthroat. They would do whatever they had to try to do to win. If that meant headbutting mm-hmm. you or trying to you know, whip your freaking goggles off your face, that's what happened. So it made mm-hmm. me very defensive going into my senior year. I was I thought everyone was out to get me as far as my face and my goggles went. So it was kind of like in that way I sort of regret it. And then the other thing I regret mm-hmm. about it is like when I left my college team, the culture on the college team between my junior year and senior year when I was gone changed. And I I didn't really realize this until, like, now having been a coach for, like, 10 years or so, starting to see how important mm-hmm. certain individuals are in a team. And when those kids graduate, other kids underneath them don't have somebody to look to, and then they'll, they'll look to somebody else. And if that somebody else isn't, like, the right person, the right type of person, things can sort of fall apart. And I think that's mm-hmm. kind of that happened a little bit at Lehigh. You know, the leadership, I don't think, was quite there. Um, I mean, they had good leaders, but mm-hmm. the year that I came back to the team, some of those good leaders like Mario Stewart and Brad Dillon, they graduated. And so now mm-hmm. here I come from, you know, Colorado, and a lot of the younger kids on the team don't know me. And um, so they, like, didn't know who to look to when, during my senior year. And then I had all that other stuff going on with, you know, anger management and not being a captain anymore. So I think the leadership sort of fell apart because of some of the stuff that happened. And for that season, you had the film crew follow you around in the in the Lehigh team for the Veritas documentary. Was that difficult and uncomfortable for you as, you know, we in wrestling generally don't get that much constant attention and then years later, how do you feel about the presentation of the film itself? Um, oh, my God. I, I love it. Uh, it's not very humbling. Um, <laughs> it's definitely not very humbling because I don't achieve the goal. And But I think it does do a good job of, like, really personalizing things. And by showing my dad and my mom and, like, some of the teammates and interviewing a lot of people, it makes it very personal. And so... Like I've showed, I showed that to a lot of my students as a ninth grade teacher, and I've, like in class, I've seen kids like like girls particularly start crying towards the end of the movie, and they realize mm-hmm. I don't win, and it's like when I lost, they like, I can't believe that that it like hits home like that, but um, they did a great job with that movie. Um, I usually take a water break or go out to the fountain and grab a quick drink or go refill my coffee when I'm losing the Han in the movie. But uh, <laughs> sure. uh, other than that, though, it's it's well made. It distracted me a little bit in the very beginning of the year. Um, 
but then I got used to it. Once, once I got to know the guys who were behind the camera very well, which only took a couple of weeks, then it didn't bother me whatsoever. But at the beginning of the year, they were sort of strangers. And, you know, it's like, get that camera away from me while I'm warming up. So I came to an understanding with them. I said, listen, a lot of guys are real relaxed before they go on the mat. That's not me. So keep your distance with that camera when I'm warming up. Like, I don't want to turn around and have a camera in my face when I'm getting ready to, like, go to battle. You know, so that's the way I kind of sure. was. Um, but. Um, something I admired, you'll see it every so often. You have a senior who's, you know, favored to win a title and is upset. The hopes of being a national champion is gone, but you still found a way to come back and major two very tough opponents and win Mahalik and Joel Flaggart, you know, before leaving your shoes on the mat. How difficult was it getting yourself back into the correct frame of mind to be able to perform at that level to take third place after losing the Stender? Well, I'll tell you, my my high school coaches and my dad and my best friend, Kurt Pryor, uh, I spent the entire night. Well, I had a complete meltdown after I lost to Stender. I mean, it didn't show it. It didn't happen on the mat. It happened once I left the tunnel. I just completely had a meltdown. And um, and so for the first time, I because this was the end of my career, I finally, finally kind of felt what some of those guys do that, like, give up after they lose in the semis. And I never got, I never got that before, but it was extremely hard. I mean, I hurt my right leg, and I couldn't, like, First, I don't know what I, how it happened or what I did to it, but I couldn't pick my toe up, my feet, my foot up on my right foot. So the next day I was like, that kind of like, I wasn't really worried too much about it, but I just told them like, I'm hurt. I don't know if I should wrestle. And then the next day I had been convinced by, you know, my best friend and my dad and my high school coaches, mostly them, not, not so much by college coaches for some reason. It's kind of like, your current coach is the person you would go to once you don't com- like compete for them anymore. And then, mm-hmm. you know, you're like, I don't know how to say it. If I was in high school, it probably would have been my junior high coach who would have came to talk to me. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. But at any rate, those guys convinced me like, no, you have to wrestle. Like they didn't even give me an option. And I said, what do you mean I have, like, why, why do I have to? And they're like, because that's who you are. You, you're not going to give up. You can't give up. You have to wrestle. And if you lose them both, then you lose them both. But you go out competing. You don't go out giving up and tucking your tail and running away from everybody. And so that was, it was pretty much presented to me like a challenge. And it was a moral issue. Like, are you a quitter or are you freaking, or are you mm-hmm. a warrior? And, um, so that was it. And I was like, okay, yeah. And then when I went out there, uh, I put I had the goggles on and I was just like, okay, no more Mr. Nice Guy. I don't care if I get DQ'd at this point. And so I went back to like getting all fired up and competing like I'm good at competing instead of trying to be real nice and make sure I don't get disqualified and try not to get too intense when I'm warming up. When I was in the tunnel for that, that, Conti semifinal match, I think it was win Mahalik first. Um, mm-hmm. 
I was fired up. Like, I was pissed off. I was fired up. I was held from my, my goal and my dream. So I kind of was like, I'm going to take this out on somebody. And so I did well. Um, let's see for following your graduation from college um, it seemed like you were away from the sport for a while was that coincidental or directly related to how your career finished and what prompted you to return yeah it was totally related Uh, uh, and of course it lasted like six or eight months and and then I called up my high school coach who's son was a senior at that point and said, Hey, can I come help coach your son? And he said, of course. So I showed up one day and I was kind of lost, you know, I was really depressed after not achieving the goal mm-hmm. and not only not achieving the goal, but it's like, it's over. Now what do I do with myself? Now I'm, so I was struggling with that because I didn't want to go back to wrestling because it hurt me so bad. And you know, then I just, I called my coach and said, can I come in for a practice? And he said, yeah, anytime. So I went in and then, you know, I said, can I come back tomorrow? And he's like, yeah. And before you know it, I was like their assistant coach. And then I you get certified to teach. And then, you know, uh, the next year Strobel hired me as an assistant and said, I'll hire you under one condition. And I said, what's that? And he said, you have to take courses to get your master's in education. I said, okay. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, why? And he said, Trench, you were put on this earth to be a teacher and a coach, and that's what you need to do. So I said, okay. So he kind of helped me. He helped me kind of create another goal and find another purpose, you know. Mm-hmm. And you had mentioned you spent a few years on the Lehigh staff and now you're coaching at Parkland. Do you have a preference coaching at the high school level compared to college? <laughs> well, now, you know, as at Lehigh, it was <laughs> really, really competitive, and it's all about winning, right? And and still, I was still so bitter about the way I handled my own career. I was obsessed with winning, and that's ultimately, I think, that's why I didn't win. If you had like, if you had a meter that could like tell how much a person cared about or was afraid to lose. I guarantee you Damian Hahn didn't really care that much. I did, and that's what held me back. I was like I was like paralyzed by my own fear of losing. And and that's mm-hmm. that's like bull crap. The pressure I put on myself, I was so mad about it. So I was coaching college and there was all this external pressure for the guys to win and people worried about that more than doing the right stuff. And after a while I was like, Well, I think I'm going to go focus on high school because I'm going to become a teacher here soon. So I did that, and I really liked high school. But what I'm trying to do now, my new goal, my new mission here, uh, District 11, the area that I'm from, was always, like, notoriously good. Like, really, really yeah, good. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we have, like, mm-hmm. uh, Bethlehem Catholic, Northampton, Easton, Nazareth, Parkland. So a lot of good wrestling here. So... This past five years or so, Central Pennsylvania and Western Pennsylvania started to sort of exceed uh, what we were doing at state, and that bothered me. So, um, what I tried to do this past two years, I'm actually just a volunteer at Parkland now. I mm-hmm. help out there like three, four days a week. Um, I run a, a beat the streets team, 
in Center City, Allentown, mm-hmm. for, and that's third, fourth, and fifth graders. And I run a club at Lehigh for, uh, like, youth club. It's LVWC. Coach Buxton from Blair runs the elite level with the Olympic level guys, and I take the younger mm-hmm. guys. And now I'm running the high school portion of uh, Peak Wrestling Club, which is at Freedom. So I'm trying to help as many – I'm trying to get out as get out to as many different places in the Lehigh Valley as I can to help our area, like, get back to where it used to be. Uh, so, um, let's see. The, the next question you've probably answered like three or four different times already. Um, but, uh, and they've been different things. Uh, you've had a long decorated career. Um, but in coaching your young wrestlers, do you have something that stands out from your career that you make sure to pass along to the kids when you're coaching? You know, something where you're saying, I wish I knew this when I was your age, dot, dot, dot. Well, it's funny because one of the things that that I had when I competed that a lot of these kids don't have, and I don't really want them to have, I was like super, super, super intense. All I cared about was wrestling. And I don't really want mm-hmm. these kids to be like that because what happened to me after the wrestling was over, like I was depressed, I was really upset, I didn't know what to do with my life. I just felt like that right there is a scary window where kids can go down the wrong path. If you get them so invested in wrestling, mm-hmm. when you take wrestling away, what do they do now? And they can be lost. So mm-hmm. you have to keep the right perspective. Um, so I try to tell kids, you know, you go out there, you have fun, try to be the best wrestler you can be, but uh, ultimately, this is just a wrestling match, and this is just a high school sport. There's no pressure. You just go, do the job, do the best you can, and at the end of the day, you know, you go back to your life. And so I try to keep it in that kind of perspective to sort of depressurize it, where with myself, I was, like, extremely high pressure on myself and high expectations. Um, the thing I probably try to focus on the most is building character through the sport. I was a bad sport. I exhibited bad sportsmanship a lot of times because I let my intensity and my warrior mentality get in the way, and I and I treated mm-hmm. it like it was a battle. And sometimes, like, you know, I started getting out of control a little bit out there. So um, I really don't like to see that from any high school kids. And fortunately, um, the kids don't call me a hypocrite or anything, but... They listen, and our kids at Parkland mm-hmm. are very good sports. Um, and, like, you know, I try to make sure that that's, like, a uh, top priority. So. Okay, and co- coaching at the level that you do and being in touch with a lot of youth athletes, if you were named, uh, you know, the head of wrestling in America, uh, what would you do in order to get better partici- participation numbers at the youth level or even keep them interested throughout high school, some sort of rule change or different emphasis? Um, man, that's a loaded question. That's tough. Well, the thing that I see the most, to be honest with you, and I think it's a, man, I don't, you know, I don't know how you can convince these parents that are like this to do otherwise, but you have these kids out there who wrestle 100 to 200 matches a year when they're young mm-hmm. and they wind up becoming like the best ever when they're young. And then by the mm-hmm. time they get older, they don't want to do it anymore. 
or or yeah. they're so winning isn't exciting anymore, and then they start to fear losing instead. And that's the one thing that kind of happened with me. Um, it wasn't as important to win as it was to not lose. You know, it's kind of like in battle. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't really care about trying to kill the other person. I just didn't want to get killed. Like, and so that fear that led to, like, anger and frustration and stuff. Um, I would try to get parents to, like, be very careful about how, how like, heavy you have your kid competing when they're young. Because you're going to, like, change their personality and stuff like that when they're... I'm talking real young. Like, I see, like, six-year-olds that it's unbelievable how good they are. And it's, frankly, frankly mm-hmm. it's stupid. They shouldn't be that yeah, good yet. Yeah, I agree. So, um, I don't know how you do that. But, like, they got to do extra stuff if they want to get better. But to be the best doesn't matter until you're older. And, mm-hmm. frankly, I think the kids that... Like, this year I watched a state finals match, and the one kid was a junior, the other kid was a freshman. And the kid who's a freshman won. And I just looked at it and I said, I see the kid who's a junior having a brighter college career than the kid who's a freshman. Because the kid who's a junior has still got something to work for. The kid who's a freshman is already the best. So in the next three years, Mm -hmm. you're going to see him make all the wrong choices because he's already the best. Who's pushing him? You know, what's he hungry for? He's already the champ. So he's going to get involved in all kinds of stupid stuff. So you kind of like want mm-hmm. your kid to be pretty good, but not the best. Not until they're older. Yeah. No, that makes total sense to me. Um, on my first two podcasts, I went through a list of 15 wrestlers from the 2000 century who were the best never to win an NCAA title. Um, your name was on the list. Whenever I talk to people about that subject, you're one of the first people that everybody lists. At this point in time, is that something that you can sort of take pride in? Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, well, if I was the only one, it would be tough. But then you look at people like Tyrone Lewis, and it's just like, mm-hmm. holy cow, that kid is phenomenal. Corey Cooperman was a phenomenal wrestler. There are so many wrestlers that are really, really good that didn't win it. It's tough to win it. It really mm-hmm. is. And I admire the people that can, like, put it together more than one year in a row. Like, they got something special. They can compete under pressure, and I, I just wish I had that. But all the people in that tournament are in the top half of a percent of wrestlers in the country. You mm-hmm. know, so just to be there is pretty phenomenal. Okay, do you have a win, achievement, or title that you're most proud of from your wrestling career? Uh, A title? Like uh, something that I won? Yeah, something that you won, or maybe a match that you won, just something Um, can be big or small. I don't know. I guess not really, not one particular... Not something that comes to mind, really. Okay, well, the last question I have for you is, when people think of your wrestling career, how would you like them to remember you? Uh, well, here's what I tried to do. I was a 97-pounder, um, but I tried not to wrestle like one. And mm-hmm. I didn't want to just have one or two moves that I did. I wanted to do, like, if I thought a move was, I would drill. I worked really hard. 
Um, I don't know if that, that shows, like, in my wrestling, but I tried to outwork. I tried to outwork everybody in the room, even though I was a bigger guy. Um, and I really mm-hmm. emphasized technique. So I kind of just tried to, like, if the move was there, I would try it. And so I kind of just had this philosophy of, like, if it's there, hit it. If you think you could do it, do it. And don't worry if it's in your style or not. Me and Strobel used to debate about this all the time. He said it's better to be the master of one trade than, or the, wait. It's better to be the master of one trade than the jack of all trades and the master of none. Okay, Mm -hmm. and so he was telling me, like, Trent, you're in underhooks, you're in overhooks, you're in ties, you're in the open shots, you're doing this, you're doing that. He's like, you need to focus on a couple little things and just drill those until you do them on everybody. But I thought that was kind of boring. And so I just tried Mm -hmm. to do everything. (laughs) So uh, I guess entertaining would probably be good because I tried to Uh be exciting and hit all kinds of stuff. Okay, is there anything else that uh, people need to know about you or any of the projects that you're involved in? Um, no, I just I think that uh, it's important as a former wrestler. Like I had a lot of mentors coming through wrestling, and you know, in my career, and now I'm now I'm focusing on trying to be one for a lot of people. And I think mm-hmm. if more people who were successful in our sport, you know, I know some national champs out there that aren't helping anybody. It's like for, for crying out loud, you're a national champion and you, you can't give back to the sport. Like, mm-hmm. like get out there and do something, volunteer somewhere, help some kids. You know, it's, it's amazing. When I look back, some of my coaches are almost like father figures to me. And, and I have an amazing dad. What if I didn't have an amazing dad? How much would I have looked up to those coaches then? So, I think mm-hmm. uh, a coach has a real a real impact on a kid, and I wish more of the successful um, wrestling people would would approach it that way and try to really be a good mentor for these young kids because they need it today. They need it. Mm-hmm. Um, All right, those are some wise words. A big thanks to John Trench for joining us on the Sudden History Podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you again to John Trenge for such a great interview. As I usually do, I'm going to invite you to check out all the shows on the Matt Talk Podcast Network. If you have feedback for me, you can reach me on Twitter at D1CW for the show at Sudden History. That's all we have time for this week. I'm going to turn it over to Greg Jones. How the hell do I get off this stage?